John Durham's report scorches the FBI as the legacy media rushes to put out the fire. The abortion debate heats up on the campaign trail as former President Trump criticizes Governor Ron DeSantis for Florida's new heartbeat law. President Biden's environmental executive orders nullify America's energy independence. And a Florida judge threatens to hold Homeland Security in contempt for violating his ruling over the Border Patrol parole program. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. It's time to crank it up. Alrighty then, welcome in. Uh, thanks for joining us today for Truth and Col- Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. Uh, it is a Tuesday morning, and we are getting ready for a big day in Columbia. Today's the day that the South Carolina House is called back into session by the governor to consider the Hartby bill, which was passed by the Senate earlier this year and has been modified some by the House. Uh, we're expected uh, uh, to. It's expected to be a pretty long fight today maybe as long as 15, 16 hours, could take longer. It depends on how many of the 1,000 amendments the Democrats have put up can be uh, sort of combined maybe into several uh, amendments and can be voted down at once. Um, the, the Democrats don't have the votes. They know that. They can't stop the legislation from passing. The Republicans in the House are committed to passing this bill, getting it to the Senate. And from what we hear, although we can't be sure, but – We're hearing that the Senate has the votes to pass the bill with the changes that the House has made. And, of course, that would give some relief to the unborn in South Carolina. It's not a perfect bill. Um, It has too many exceptions, in my view. I think exceptions for life of the mother is appropriate. I think that any other exceptions are not needed or necessary. But, of course, most of the lawmakers want to have those exceptions in there, and the bill can't pass without them. Um, And I also would like to see the Human Life Protection Act passed. That would have been my preference. Um, Palmetto Family, South Carolina Baptist Convention, South Carolina Citizens for Life, ADF, uh, the Catholic Diocese, a lot of us worked hard to try to get that bill through the Senate, and we were not able to do that, as we've said many times on this program, because of the actions, uh, really, of six Republican senators that joined Democrats and upholding a filibuster against the Human Life Protection Act. So we are left with the heartbeat bill. Uh, Some of the changes that have made hopefully will make it uh, pass constitutional muster. We have a brand-new Supreme Court justice, uh, Justice Hill, on the Supreme Court, and that's pretty much that's going to be a defining moment to find out if he is pro-life or if his judicial philosophy, I guess I should say, is constructionist or originalist because There's really very little reasonable thought that goes into the idea that the South Carolina Constitution in any way addresses abortion. It addresses people's rights when it comes to illegal search and seizure and respects the right of privacy of your possessions, but it certainly doesn't do so in the context of um, a a pregnancy. So in any event, um, this is is what's going to be 
carried out in, in South Carolina today could be a long day. If, uh, if I'm not on, the, not on the air live in the morning, you'll know uh, that we pretty much spent the night in Columbia. So um, I'd, I'd ask you to be in prayer about this today. It's a big deal for our state. Uh, South Carolina is an abortion destination state. We've got people coming from Florida. We have people coming from Georgia. We have people coming from uh, Tennessee. We have people coming from other places that have put restrictive abortion laws in place while South Carolina has not been able to do so. So I applaud our lawmakers for getting to this, but I would, again, uh, you would think in a bright red state, a deep red state like South Carolina, we would be able to pass these laws easier and we would be able to be more restrictive when it comes to abortion. All right, um, let's move on to some other news today. The Durham report scorched the FBI and, of course, the mainstream, uh, mainstream media, the legacy media, whatever you want to call them, um, immediately went to put out the fire. The Washington Post was, they, they put the story on the front page, uh, at least on the website. And uh, New York Times, I didn't check to see how they treated the story. But the Washington Post was mostly dismissive. Nothing to see here. All of this has been talked about before. And while that may be true, it's true that Michael Horowitz, the um, inspector general, issued a report in 2019 that led to the firing of of Michael McCabe and Peter Strzok because of their behavior as chronicled by Horowitz. And Horowitz pointed out the the terrible way that the investigation into President Trump into Crossfire Hurricane, um, the Trump campaign, the way that the FISA court was abused by FBI agents that didn't have evidence that should have been presented to the FISA court. Uh, they, pre they presented evidence that was false to the FISA court and didn't tell the court. They withheld information about the evidence they were presenting, which would have likely caused the court to deny the warrants that caused a lot of people to, to suffer because of the abuses of the FBI. Barr appointed Special Prosecutor John Durham, in case we've forgotten, because it's been four years um, since this investigation started, uh, but uh, he, John Durham was actually appointed by Barr and his job was to look into the FBI's treatment of Donald Trump during the Russia collusion hoax. And Durham says that the conclusions reached by the FBI during the investigation were, and this is a quote, utterly unsupported by the evidence. Now, I'm going to kind of go over this in general. And then what I'm going to do is just read direct quotes from Durham's report and then comment on them. I, th I think the best way for you to get a grasp of the depth of this report and how bad the FBI and the Justice Department behaved in all of this is to hear exactly the conclusions that Durham reached. So I've got yeah probably half a dozen of them here that I'm going to go through with you in just a minute. But first, um, Durham says the FBI went against their own rules to push the investigation forward. They also set up a double standard in the way that it handled intelligence gleaned from information that was invented by the Clinton campaign, now, lest we forget, we need to go back and, and recap and remember that the Clinton campaign worked with other um, groups to manufacture the Steele dossier. The Clinton campaign, in order to discredit Donald Trump and to paint him as a Russian cat's paw, uh, put all this information together as opposition research, and then opposition research became evidence as far as the FBI was concerned. And that, that was, a, I mean, just a, a terrible 
way of going about any type of investigation. The FBI should have known. The first question should have been, why would the Clinton campaign hand over all of this information since they're not a neutral party? I mean, it should have been suspicious to the FBI that the Clinton campaign came up with all this information the way they came up with it, that it it was um, being used as a political attack, not as something that could be used as substantial evidence to call President Trump's then uh, candidate Trump's behavior into question. So they they set up a, a, a double standard in the way that they handled intelligence gleaned from the Clinton campaign and the way they handled what they discovered that linked Hillary Clinton to her secret server containing classified top secret information. So all of that information was independently discovered through investigation, and yet the, the, the FBI decided to look the other way or not be vigorous in its investigation. They kind of investigated Hillary Clinton, but what they didn't really put on any speed. They didn't uh, have a sense of urgency about them because there was an election coming up. And they couldn't determine, they couldn't decide whether or not it was appropriate to investigate a presidential candidate uh, while they were running for, in the middle of running for office. Could that be construed as interfering with the election? So they slow walked and soft pedaled the Clinton investigation while they shifted into hyperspeed when it came to investigating candidate Trump um, and bringing all those allegations to the forefront. And a lot of that had to do with personal bias. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Durham conceded in the report that the FBI had written new rules following its deplorable behavior toward Trump. The FBI's response to all this, to Durham's report, which is devastating, by the way, um, even though, it again, it's being soft-pedaled by some of the legacy media. But the FBI, it's interesting that the FBI and the Justice Department, since the report was released yesterday, hasn't pushed back against any of it. In fact, they have said that this report backs up Horowitz's report, the inspector general, that pointed out all of these failings of the agency. And so just think about that for a minute, ladies and gentlemen. We spent, we took, as the American people, um, the, the government of the United States, invested in this two-and-a-half-year-long investigation into President Trump with evidence that was uncooperated, evidence that came from a campaign foe, and they used it to nullify the first two years plus of the Trump administration. That is, their hope was that President Trump would so be so embroiled in this that he would be ineffective as president and he would be rejected. He'd be a one-term president or he would be impeached. They wanted him out of office. Um, it was a nightly assault with CNN, uh, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, all of the, the alphabet soup of the networks, plus all of the major newspapers, were in continual attack mode trying to guess which day President Trump would resign or would be forced out of office through impeachment because of all this information. And it turns out that the information wasn't true, which we knew at the time. There were plenty of people pointing out the fallacies and discrepancies in the investigation, but nobody was paying any attention because Trump had to be taken down after he became president. They tried to do it as a candidate. It didn't work. 
He got elected. It was an upset, shock election, certainly to the system of the media and also to the Democrat Party, to progressives. You remember those videos of people howling? You know, they would just just go out and stand in the street and howl and bay at the moon. And they they got got themselves on, got their uh, 15 minutes of fame on YouTube and on social media. But all of this, because President Trump got elected, even though the FBI did what it could to undermine his campaign and those associated with it. Um, And then they did what they could. Um, The Mueller report revealed there was no collusion. And Durham and Horowitz both came and said there was never any evidence of collusion, at least not credible evidence, not evidence that should have resulted in the FBI's zeal in going after candidate Trump or President Trump. Um, Now, Durham said this, and, and, and this is important as it relates to the biblical worldview, how we see the world through the lens of Scripture. He said he, that it doesn't matter how many rules you write if the people of the FBI abandon its guiding principles of fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Now, let's stop right there for a second. I wrote uh, a blog. You can go to drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com and read the blog that I wrote saying that our United States military, our national security, must have a Christian or a biblical worldview in place. Uh, Because when you look at what is required of people in the armed forces, I mean, what do we expect of them? Uh, Rush Limbaugh used to say all the time that the job of the military is not to be meals on wheels. It's not to be a, an international welfare program, although the United States in its compassion often uses the military to help people in need in countries where uh, they're stationed. But its main purpose is to break things and kill people. I mean, that's, that may sound harsh, but that's the military's job for the national security of the United States. And it takes a Christian worldview, a biblical understanding of truth, character, integrity. These words that Durham used, fidelity, bravery, and integrity, are all linked to the inner person. You know, this doesn't have anything to do with technology, bombs, bullets, um, strategy, any of that. What the point that I made in the the blog, if, if you go read it, is I asked the question. You know, when the, those uh, landing craft approached Normandy, the men on, and women on those boats understood that when that door dropped, most of them would be dead within minutes. And yet this, the ones that survived after seeing their, their uh, comrades, their, their brothers in arms, um, after seeing them die in a hail of bullets, they came out of those landing craft. They didn't retreat and hide in the corner. They came out and crossed the beach. They had they did what they had to do, what they knew they had to do, because of fidelity, bravery, integrity, love of country, because it the technology at that point couldn't propel them to victory. It had to come from the inner strength of people that were in, or in the military. And I write about that extensively in that blog if you want to take a look at it. But the same thing is true for any organization associated with the United States government. That organization is only as good as the people who make it up, and that comes from the inside. Whether these people are committed to their own personal agendas 
or if they're committed because of love of country to getting to the truth, or if they're just committed to the truth because of the values that they hold. And most of the time, those values are rooted and grounded in a biblical understanding of truth. I mean, why be brave if you don't love your country, if you don't believe it's worth getting to the truth over? What about integrity? Does it matter to you what techniques you use in order to get the outcome that you want? In fact, are you entering into an investigation thinking, this is my outcome, and therefore, this is going to have to be my investigative modus operandi? And that's exactly what the FBI did. Their outcome was set without a lot of thought to the evidence presented, and then they took what evidence they had and could gather, and they sort of manipulated it, massaged it, tweaked it, and turned it into a condemnation of President Trump as a candidate and then later as president. And I realize that, you know, the Washington Post is making a lot out of the fact today that John Durham only got one conviction, uh, and it was for an FBI agent who uh, lied in a memo to enhance uh, the ability to get a FISA warrant against Carter Page, and they make that out to be nothing. But think about it, folks. A, an FBI agent, it, we the people out here living our lives, getting up, going to work, providing for our families, making the economy work, making the culture hold together, we do that every day, and the fact that the FBI could lie in order to get a secret warrant to wiretap our phones or to come after us should be an offense that someone goes to jail for. And yet this person who was who pled guilty to lying in the email, in a memo he sent about this, he got community service. And see, this is, this is leading to a lot of the frustration that Americans feel. Um, I don't like feeling frustrated because... It, frustration is sort of a um, it's sort of like having anger that has nowhere to go. It's it's sort of like having a sense of being of of justice being manipulated and there's nothing done about it. And this is what the, you know. This report with without indicting anybody else. Here we have. Um, by the way, the other two people that were indicted under Durham's investigation were. Um, indicted for lying to the FBI, and both of them were found not guilty because it, I, I think the case was poorly present, presented. But when you've got widespread corruption in an agency, the agency, the people in that agency should be held accountable. And I know that Peter Strzok and, and Andrew McCabe were fired, but it's not enough to simply fire the people at the top the people who followed those orders. You, you know, at Nuremberg, the excuse of the Nazis that we were just following orders didn't cut the mustard, and it shouldn't cut the mustard at the FBI. Now, I'm not talking about executing people here, but I'm talking about holding people accountable for their actions when they misuse power. One of the worst things to me that a government official can do is take the trust of the American people and abuse it with the power that they've been given by those same American people. You know, the, the FBI has great power. Prosecutors have great power. They can just decide one day to indict you 
for no reason or for any reason. Now, they have to go into court and prove their accusations, but and, and of course, all of that failed when it came to the uh, investigation of Trump. Again, the, the purpose was to damage, to smear, um, to keep him out of office, and when that didn't work, to undermine his ability to lead the country and to hopefully get him impeached and removed. All of those efforts failed, but yet they were all put in place because of a lack of integrity, because of a lack of fidelity, because people were too cowardly to come forward and admit that all of the so-called evidence was manufactured or, at the very least, was put forth by an opposition candidate trying to win an election. That'd be Hillary Clinton. So... Despite the Washington Post claims to the contrary, too, by the way, there are a few places uh, where there's a little bit of new information in the report. Because, again, everybody just wants the the mainstream media, if you're wondering what their line is today, nothing to see here. Move along. Let's just keep going because we've all we've rehashed this before. Oh, so, yes, we've talked about corruption in government. This is a corroborating piece of information. This corroborates Horowitz's information as inspector general that he put forth. It's almost like you could lay one report on top of the other. It backs up everything Michael Horowitz discovered. It seems to me that that's fairly important. When you go into a courtroom, you need corroborating evidence to convict somebody. So the frustration with the American people, at least with me, and I think it's reflected by people all across the country, is that we do these investigations, we find evidence of wrongdoing, and the wrongdoers are free to keep doing wrong. I mean, there's nothing done. We we say, well, the rules have changed. Yeah, but Durham's right. You can change all the rules you want, but if you don't, don't change the integrity and the intent of the people who have to operate within the rules, it doesn't matter how many rules you have. I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the children of Israel only had 10 commandments that they had to worry about, um, essentially. And they couldn't even, they couldn't obey 10. They couldn't, the rules were clearly given. So when rules are clearly handed down, the only opportunity we have at that point for the rules to mean anything is for the people involved to, to have it mean something to them so that they operate within the boundaries of what's right. Anyway, um, even though the Washington Post, again, says there's nothing new, Durham did say that British intelligence was very skeptical concerning the Trump-Russia investigation from the start, particularly, particularly the Steele dossier. And they, that, has that been mentioned before? It has been in Horowitz's report. But in this instance, then the, uh, there's more detail that has been released of the British intelligence skepticism, why they believed that the evidence was scant, why they were, when they talked to their U.S. counterparts, they treated this information the way that it should have been treated, like it was an attack piece on somebody that was running for office or a political opponent who was in office that they wanted to take down. FBI investigators did not and could not, Durham said, corroborate any of the substantive, uh, substantive, I'm sorry, substantive allegations contained in the Steele dossier. In other words, the prima facie evidence, the, the evidence that was going to end 
President Trump's political career, not one piece of evidence was corroborated or found to be substantial at the end of the day. And this is, I mean, the fact that, that and, and folks, this is the truth. This is what everybody has said. It's what Mueller said without saying it. It's what Barr said. It's what Horowitz said. And now it's what Durham has said. So you've got four different sets of eyes on all of this information whose job, and each one of them had the same job, look at the information and determine what actually happened here. And all four have said the same thing, that it was an unnecessary investigation, the evidence couldn't be corroborated or substantiated, and it was the, the entire investigation should have stopped in its infancy. It should have been dropped in its tracks because of the lack of evidence that was credible. But it went forward anyway for political reasons. And this is how banana republics operate. It's not how the greatest democracy in the world operates. And I get it. Uh, please don't send me emails. We're a constitutional republic, which is a form of democracy, but it's much better than a pure democracy where you just basically have mob rule. In a constitutional republic, the rights of, the, of those in the minority in the government are protected, and the rights actually rest with the, the people not with the government officials. So Durham's report concludes that there was no collusion, no evidence of collusion from the start, and that the Trump campaign was illegitimately targeted from the start by partisan actors in the FBI. That's pretty clear. Trump commented on the report on social media. This is what he said. In other words, the American public was scammed just as it's being scammed right now by those who don't want to see the greatness uh, for America. And, you know, I don't, I don't have any problem with that statement at all. I mean, he's exactly right. It was a scam. The thing that makes it terrible, well, first of all, it would be terrible if it was just a scam. The fact that it was a scam perpetrated by trusted government agencies that are supposed to be in the business of protecting Americans from false ideas actually generated some of the false ideas, embraced the other false ideas that were brought to them, and turned it into an opportunity to go after somebody that they didn't like, particularly the somebodies in the FBI. So how did the FBI respond to all of this? Uh, it pretty much said, yeah, we hear you, but we've already addressed all this. So there's, again, there's, this is a move-along report, nothing to see here. The FBI statement said they've already addressed the issues in Durham's report by taking dozens of actions, which now have been in place for some time. Yeah, since Horowitz's report was released and since they've had the opportunity to go in and clean up some of the mess. But, you know, you, you, when you hear about clean up and on aisle four, you know, we, we associate that, of course, going to the grocery store, somebody drops or breaks something on aisle four. Well, the thing is, when you clean up the mess, do you look around to see what caused it and to determine real solutions to make sure that you don't have cleanup in aisle four the very next day. And, and this is where I think Durham is exactly right when he says, yeah, rule changes are great, but they don't matter unless the rule makers and the rule enforcers actually have a change of heart. If you, if you go into a, a grocery store and somebody drops something off a shelf, if you don't take actions to make sure that that doesn't happen again, then you just go back to business as usual. 
And the FBI says, oh, we've taken all these actions. We fired fired the bad guys. We changed some of our policies and procedures. Well, have you put in place the people with the integrity, fidelity, and bravery to make sure that the new rules are properly enforced, or are we just going to go down this road again? And I'm with you. I I know a lot of you right now are are expressing frustration because there hasn't been any legal accountability. And maybe our justice system is not set up with the rule of law in a case like this to be able to hold people accountable. If it isn't, then that's the job of Congress. Congress should look at this. And having all these hearings, there needs to be a result. And part of the result is that Congress should pass laws that hold people accountable when they don't do their job well and we're talking about the FBI. We're not talking about, you know, back to the cleanup in aisle four illustration. We're not talking about a grocery store clerk or somebody working in the grocery store. We're we're talking about people who have great power over your life, over my life, because of their responsibility at the FBI. And it's incredibly important that we, the people, have confidence in our chief law enforcement agency. And we don't. And I don't celebrate that. I, I, I don't glo- I'm not gloating over it. I don't want to use that statement for political purposes because it's, it's a serious thing when the American people looks at its law enforcement agencies and are afraid that they're becoming something similar to the KGB. Now, I know that's, look, that's hyperbole. That's, that's overstatement. I don't think the FBI is anywhere near the KGB. But I don't think the KGB was the KGB the day it started. I think what happens is people get power, and then the people that have power over them discover that, that their power can be extended by, by law enforcement, and then you start having compromise that turns a legitimate agency for national security and the peace and prosperity of the American people, that agency gets into a, turned into a political tool that only guarantees peace and prosperity for those who sing out of the same songbook or who read off of the same page of a manuscript. And that's when we have a serious problem. Utah Senator Mike Lee put it this way. He said it was an effort to use a powerful, long-respected federal law enforcement agency to render a presidential candidate unelectable entirely in the absence of any valid or good-faith basis for doing so. That's a great summation. Uh, but we need to go more. We need to go further. If, because protecting the American people from powerful government agencies should be one of the priorities of Congress. And that's why we need some new laws that would hold people accountable when they behave like this. Because I'm telling you, they get a slap on the wrist, they're going back to the cookie jar. I mean, if you don't, if you don't actually make this some type of debt of, of, of uh, deterrent by holding people legally accountable, then we have no guarantee that it's not going to happen over and over again. All right. I promised you some quotes from the Durham report, just straight up out of the report. You, you may not have time to read it. It's 300 pages. Um, I, when these reports like this come out, I try to read the executive summary. This is just a, a little bit of advice about how to, how to get into this stuff because I think it's important that we read it for ourselves. But read the executive summary, and then the reports have um, 
you know, they have a, an index that will tell you a glossary and an index that tells you what terms mean. It tells you where to find um, certain parts of the report. And if something catches your intent, attention in the executive summary, then look it up. Find out what page that's expounded on and go read it. You don't have to necessarily read every word of 300 pages. You can use the executive summary as a guide. But here are some of the quotes that I, I pulled these because I thought they were um, they were important. Quote, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire hurricane in, in investigation. Okay, that that's well written, but let me translate it for you. The whole thing started without any evidence of collusion. Somebody looked at Peter Strzok, Andrew McCabe, and said, go open an investigation. Usually, the FBI gathers evidence, corroborates that evidence, and then opens an investigation. But in this case, they just opened the investigation. Um, and this is, I mean, that's a, that's a clear violation. I mean, what, what, what concerns me is where are our civil rights? Where are the rights of the American people against being falsely accused by a powerful government agency of a crime? I mean, the, the abuse that's been heaped on President Trump, and, and for those of you who listen to this program for a long time, you, you know, I mean, I've made it clear that I respect Trump's actions, some of the policies that he put in place. When I say his actions, I mean to say his policies, a lot of his actions I don't approve of, but the policies that he put in place that he pushed for and allowed to be implemented while he was president, I support a lot of those. But... I'm, I'm very critical of, of the man and of the way he does things, how he, the way he gets things done. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't give an excuse to the most powerful law enforcement agency in the world stepping up and using false information to go after him. He's been pummeled. And that's why a lot of the American people are willing to overlook any of his faults because they believe that he's been so unfairly treated by the media and by the by government officials. He's the perpetual underdog. I mean, it's hard to imagine a multi-billionaire a real estate tycoon as an underdog. But the press and the investigative services of the United States have made him that way and created him in that image to the American people because of the way they've treated him. So here's another statement from Durham. Based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the Justice Department and the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. Okay, we've talked about that already. Here's another one. The speed, and, and this one's important, the speed and manner in which the FBI opened and investigated Crossfire Hurricane during the presidential election season based on raw, unanalyzed, and uncooperated intelligence also reflected a noticeable departure from how it approached prior matters involving possible attempted foreign election interference plans amid the Clinton campaign. So he, he, he draws a, a, a comparison, and it's a comparison that conservatives have been drawing for a long time and pointing out very simply that the way the FBI and the Justice Department treated Hillary Clinton bears no resemblance to the way they treated Donald Trump. 
They took real evidence, physical evidence, in the Clinton ca- in the Clinton case, and buried it. They they swept it under the rug. They ignored it. I mean, bleach bit on a blackberry. You know, you're talking about getting rid, smashing blackberries, throwing them away to conceal evidence. Oh, well, that's a national security issue. Yeah, it is because when she was beating. The, the stuffing out of her BlackBerry, she was doing it in order to cover up issues that affect national security and that could have ended her up with her in prison. And I've never been a fan. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I don't, I'm not a fan of when the Trump rallies, you've got all these people going, lock her up, lock her. And I'll tell you why. Because that kind of behavior from a large crowd doesn't draw people to a deeper understanding of what happened, nor does it draw people into a deeper desire to support conservative ideas and philosophies. It just turns a lot of people off. You know, here's the thing about politics. If you're going to win, you've got to have the right message, you've got to have the right messenger, and you've got to have the means to get the messenger and the message in front of the American people and to convince them that they're the right person. And what, where that breaks down sometimes when Donald Trump is concerned is that he has, for the most part, although we're going to call part of his message into question here in a minute, he has the right message. He has the means. But as the messenger, he falls short too many times in communicating in a way that brings the number of people to the table that are necessary to win. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the best candidate. If you can't win, you've got to be able to campaign in such a way as to be compelling for a majority of the American people, and then you can win. And so it, 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 that's why I think it's, it's so important that, that all of those things line up, the, the messenger, the message, and the means when it comes to a political campaign. Um, Durham goes on when he's talking about the mismatch and how the FBI investigated Trump and the way they treated Hillary Clinton. These examples examples are also markedly different from the FBI's actions with respect to other highly significant intelligence it received from a trusted foreign source pointing to a Clinton campaign to vilify Trump by tying him to Russian President Vladimir Putin so as to divert attention from her own concerns relating to her use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State. Okay, there it is. That's something that you've wanted to see in print for eight years now, or at least, well, six and a half years. You've wanted to see that statement in print. You've wanted somebody with responsibility to look at the evidence and come to this conclusion. Here it is. Here you have it. The FBI had plenty of evidence against Hillary Clinton. The FBI had no evidence against Donald Trump that was could, could be corroborated or was substantial. And yet they move forward against Trump and they drop the Hillary Clinton episode. You, they, they, they come to the conclusion, well, mistakes were made, but there was no intent when they clearly knew that the law that was being violated didn't require intent. And yes, they used that as a shield to not prosecute Hillary Clinton, and they used it as a club to go after Donald Trump. 
Here's another quote in particular at the direction of Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, Deputy Assistant Director for Counterintelligence Peter Strzok, opened crossfire hurricane immediately. Strzok, at a minimum, had pronounced hostile feelings toward Trump. Yeah, that's a minimum. I mean, he, he hated Donald Trump, and his bias was what was driving him. The matter was opened as a full investigation without anyone ever having spoken to the persons who provided the information. In other words, um, we've got this information. Do we need to check it out? No, no, check it out. What are you talking about? We don't have to check it. time to check it out. Let's just go ahead and start accusing people left and right of doing wrong. That's the whole purpose here is to undermine him. So we, you know, we're going to lose precious time if we actually check to see if any of our facts are correct couple more and we'll be done. Further, the FBI did so without, one, any significant review of its own intelligence databases, two, collection and examination of any relevant intelligence from other U.S. intelligence entities, three, interviews of witnesses essential to understand the raw information it had received, or four, using any of the standard analytical tools typically employed by the FBI in evaluating raw intelligence. So there you go. I got a few more quotes, but we're going to move on. You get the point. Uh, the point is that Donald Trump's life and the life of everyone around him was turned upside down for political purposes, and nobody's really going to be held accountable. I mean, the FBI is shamefaced. The FBI admits that the things that are in this report are correct. They don't deny it. They just simply said, yeah, we heard you the first time with Horowitz's report, and we're, we fixed it so you don't have to worry about a thing. Uh, I, don't know how, I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've had people come to my house and tell me that a problem was fixed, only to have the problem reoccur. Uh, the, the idea that a problem gets fixed, it's fixed when the true source of the problem is addressed and is corrected. And the true source of the problem with the FBI is character and biblical. It reverts back to a biblical understanding of character, truth, fidelity, courage, all those things. And so if you don't, if you don't have the right people, it doesn't matter if you have the right rules. That's just, that, I mean, that's common sense. All right. Um, the second thing I mentioned in the opening this morning is that pro-life groups are pushing back today against President Trump. Now, this puts him in an unusual position because President Trump has really been the darling of the pro-life movement. I mean, you know, he's going to point to the fact that he put three Supreme Court justices on the court that overturned Roe versus Wade. But, you know, he's been critical of that decision, by the way. He thinks that, that the overturning of Roe, he's actually blamed that at the poor um, how poorly Republicans did in the midterms based on how well it, it was projected that they would do. So now we have this. Pro-life groups, this is according to the Daily Signal. Uh, this is uh, Mary Margaret Olihan writing today for Daily Signal. It's a Heritage Foundation um, website. Pro-life groups are pushing back against former President Donald Trump's claim that the movement against abortion finds Florida's new pro-life legislation too harsh. Now, this is this is the hubris. This is the pride of Donald Trump. He thinks that because he put these Supreme Court justices out there, that he can speak for the pro-life movement, that he's their voice. And so without even checking to see 
if he's in step with the pro-life movement, he comes out and says Florida's heartbeat bill is too harsh. Harsh on who? I mean, it protects babies in the womb once a heartbeat is detected. How is that harsh? To me, the people that it's harsh on are conservatives who, I mean, in terms of what President Trump said, it's harsh for him to come against this bill when it's, in my mind, the minimal that you would have in protecting life. I mean, this bill doesn't go too far. It doesn't go far enough. To be harsh, you would have to think that, well, this is too much. See, here's what's happening, ladies and gentlemen, and I want you to, I want you to, I want you to lean in for a second here because I'm not wrong about this. President Trump is being a little bit more cagey this time around running for president. Uh, he's being a, a little bit more strategic. He knows that all, all five times that pro-life bills, uh, well, it's actually not five times that pro-life bills, it's a combination of pro-life bills failing and pro-abortion bills succeeding. There have been five times when the people are given the opportunity they push back against restrictive abortion laws. And so President Trump's playing the political game here in the same way that he played it when he ran for president the first time and he fully embraced the LGBTQ community. Now, he's going to stand up for religious liberty, at least, at least he has so far, but he's starting to hedge when it comes to abortion because he's thinking about the voters. You know, I, that, that's the argument that I always get. Well, I love President Trump because he always speaks his mind and he doesn't care who it offends and he doesn't care about the... Listen, if he's coming out and criticizing Ron DeSantis, if he's going after this law in Florida, it has one purpose, and that's politics. It's an opportunity for him to undermine Ron DeSanctimonious, as he calls him. And so he's using... He's coming against the pro-life community to do that? Quote, the pro-life movement demands a presidential candidate who will boldly advocate for the human rights of all people. Nora Brandt, vice president of communications at Live Action, told the Daily Signal. It is sad and disappointing to see a candidate attack the people of Florida for protecting pre-born Floridians with a detectable heartbeat. That's well said. How could you be pro-life and I'm not saying that Donald Trump's not pro-life. Don't misunderstand me. I'm asking the question. I'm assuming that he is pro-life based on his prior actions and rhetoric. But I'm asking the question, how can that be? How can you do that and then come out and say, well, this law is just too harsh because Ron DeSantis may be your political rival? How is that any different than what the FBI did to, bring down, to try to bring down Trump? It's taking facts, not in evidence and using them for political purposes. The former president discussed abortion during an interview with The Messenger in which he repeatedly criticized Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, well, you know, a fellow Republican, calling him disloyal. Uh, he's disloyal because he's running for president. I mean, how dare anybody challenge Donald Trump for president? Ron DeSantis has got every right to run for president of the United States. He has the right to win if he gets enough votes. But no, no, no. If you're running against Donald Trump and if he ever has endorsed you, that just makes you disloyal. If you don't do what he says and let him have the field, then you're being disloyal. 
He also weighed in on Florida's new heartbeat law, which prohibits doctors from knowingly performing an abortion on a baby whose age is determined to be more than six weeks. The law provides exceptions if the mother is a victim of rape, incest, or human trafficking. Here's a quote from Trump. He has to do what he has to do, Trump said of the law, according to the messenger. If you look at what DeSantis did, a lot of people don't even know if he knew what he was doing. Please. What? You've got a, a pro-life governor? And, and look, you say a lot of things about Ron DeSantis. I've met the guy. I've talked to him face-to-face, and I'm telling you, we're not dealing with some kind of dimwit here who doesn't understand legislation that's passing and that he's signing into law in his own state as governor. I promise he knows. And for Donald Trump to suggest that he didn't know what he was doing I mean, if he didn't know what he was doing, then why is he criticizing him for being harsh and doing it? Um, Let's see. He signed six weeks, and many people within the pro-life movement feel that was too harsh. That is a lie. And I know I'm on shaky ground here because I just said that Donald Trump said something that wasn't true. But that is to say that the pro-life movement doesn't think that Uh, that thinks that a six-week ban is too harsh, many in the pro-life movement, including myself, want to see abortion prohibited unless for only the exceptions. In other words, I, I want abortion to be banned all the way back to conception because I believe that's where life begins. And it's not just because I believe it. The scientific community, when you look at the definition of life, when a baby is conceived, it is life. It's not a blob of tissue. You know, when Darwin looked through a microscope years ago at a single cell, all he said, all he could see was like a black blob. The, the technology didn't exist for him to look inside the cell and see the miraculous workings of little machines that caused that human cell to function. And that caused... Um, Oh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Uh, Behe, to Dr. Behe, to write a book called Darwin's Black Box. And he pointed out that it, within a single human cell, there is a complexity of life that screams designer because of the way that it's put together and how the parts work together at the microscopic level. And so the same thing here. When a baby is conceived in the womb, you're talking about life in the womb. Maybe there was a time when we didn't know that. We know it now. In the same way that we know a a single human cell is complicated to the point that it must have had a designer, we can know that when life is conceived, that that is a human being separate from his mother, his or her mother. And yes, it's his or her. And that's the only two options. So I, I, I just, this frustrates me. Uh, the publication reported that Trump was more vague on abortion in general, noting that the former president did not specify what kind of abortion restrictions he supported, nor would he say whether he agreed with Florida's new pro-life law. Now there's your pro-life hero. And I mean, I'm, I, 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 look, if you are consistent, in your defense of life, and you, if, if you're pro-life, you know this. You know 
that somebody asks you this question, that's not going to be something you're going to have to hem and haw about. It's not going to be something you're going to equivocate. You're going to boldly speak the truth that life is precious, created in the image of God, and it deserves to be protected. And this is, we're not hearing this from President Trump right now. And I, I don't know if he thinks this is a good move for him when it comes to the campaigning, um, but I think this is going to hurt him. I think he needs to clarify. I think the American people deserve to know, people that intend on voting for him deserve to know whether this is a, a deviation from what he said before about abortion and that he's doing it because he's looking at the polls. He's listening to the political chatter. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, you, you need to really look at all this. This is important. <laughs> I mean, being, being pro-life, I, I've said it a thousand times, and I know sometimes people will say, not Dr. Beam, he just sounds like a broken record. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Life is at the beginning because that's where life begins. It's at the beginning because nothing else matters if you don't have life. I'm concerned about religious liberty. I'm concerned about school choice. I'm concerned about a lot of things in this world that politically, I'm concerned about $32 trillion in debt. But all of those things flow from the fact that my concern is rooted and grounded in the fact that I'm alive and that I'm living and breathing and I've got a brain and I can talk about these things. And when we deny that at the fundamental level, in a mother's womb, what kind of culture can survive? What political system can survive if it doesn't recognize the basic human right of life? And, and I'm, just, I'm just saying we, we need to understand where these candidates are coming from no matter what. All right. Final story today that we're going to have time for. Let's see if I got... Oh, no, no, no. I tell you what. I want to talk about Homeland Security for a second. Uh, because this, there's a Florida judge that's threatening to hold Homeland Security in contempt because he issued a ruling, and the, basically Homeland Security is admitting that, uh, for the most part, we're, we're doing what the judge said, but not always. I mean, can you imagine if a Republican, anybody in a Republican administration uttered those words? And I know a lot of people hate that when you say, well, what if, and, and what, you know, what about, and comparisons. But, I'm, but, but really and truly here, th- this is pertinent. You've got a, a judge who says to the government, the actions you're taking are unconstitutional. Stop it. And Homeland Security goes, mm, okay, uh, we're going to still do it around the edges because we've got to make it look like our plan was going to succeed even though we were cheating. You know, that's kind of, you you want an analogy? Go to a football game. Football team wins. We find out the football team cheated. Is that a win? Or is it nullified by the fact that they didn't play by the rules? Here we got the Biden administration not playing by the rules that a judge issued. Here's the story from, I think this is National Review, It's Jeff Zimmery. Judge T. Kent Wetherall, 
who blocked a Biden administration parole policy to release illegal, illegal immigrants into the interior without a court date in order to alleviate overcrowding. Now, let me stop right there. See, the, they have the ability. The Border Patrol has a rule, a law, however you want to describe it. They've got a methodology where they can release people into the country without a court date if there's a, 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 a humanitarian emergency related to that person, not a humanitarian emergency related to all the, the number of immigrants that the government, that the Biden administration will not do anything about to keep them from flooding into the border, therefore creating a humanitarian crisis. It's about the individual humanitarian crisis of a person that the government has the leeway to let them in without a court date. The judge looked at what the government was doing and they said, no, no, no. You can't interpret the law this way. You can't make it up as you go along. And so the judge is considering, and I don't, this frustrates me, I mean a little bit, what's there to consider? Either, the, either Homeland Security is adhering to the policy, uh, to the judge's ruling, or they're not. If they're not, they're in contempt of court. And if you don't hold them in contempt, then your rulings don't mean very much, do they? So they need to be adhered to. They're considering holding the Department of Homeland Security officials in contempt because of suspected noncompliance. Weatherall, who serves on the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Florida, ruled against the Biden administration after Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody sued to block the policy that was due to go into effect on May 12th, a day after Title 42 expired. Moody argued that the policy was similar to one already declared unconstitutional in March, and Weatherall agreed. Texas has also filed suit against the policy. Here's a quote comes to the court's attention that there are published news reports stating that DHS paroled 2,500 aliens after the court entered its temporary restraining order. According to the Washington Times, that's, that's the source that he cited, the court takes allegations of noncompliance with its orders very seriously, irrespective of the source of the allegations. The Florida judge ordered the Biden administration to show cause as to why it should not be held in contempt for violating the temp- temporary restraining order. Now listen to this response. I I, I just take a deep breath. (sighs) Cleansing breath. Hold on to something here. Here's the response from the government. Lawyers from the Department of Justice said the order had generally been followed, but admitted some possible noncompliance. Can I translate that one for you? Look, judge, we don't care what you say. We're the Biden administration, and we work for the president, and we're going to do what we think is right. We're going to work around the edges. When it suits us, we'll appear to be in compliance with your order. When it doesn't suit us, come get us. Hold us in contempt. What are you going to do? This is the er That kind of arrogance and attitude against the rule of law by administration officials, by the president of the United States, cannot be tolerated in a constitutional republic. We can't survive that. We have to have the rule of law. It's what puts us all on the same plane. Part of the greatness of America is that when people go to court, it doesn't matter about their status, about their wealth. It doesn't matter about their power or lack of power when it comes to the government. Everybody gets treated the same by the same rules. 
unless you're the Biden administration. And then you just cherry pick. Okay, we'll comply over here so we can point to it in a press conference and say, look, look, compliance. And then over here, we're going to do what we please because we're the Biden administration. And who are you, judge, to tell us anything different? So anyway, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, there's there's more to the story. We're, we're, we're out of time. Um, but basically what this story says to me um, is that we need to pay attention to it going forward to see, A, is this judge going to follow up with actual contempt charges? B, will the Biden administration care? And C, will the American people care that you have a renegade administration? We just heard the Durham report, which makes clear we do have a renegade administration. Here's, another, here's, here's more when it comes to the FBI. Here's more evidence of it when it comes to immigration law. Now, we knew this. I mean, if you've been paying attention, you knew this is already true. But now the facts and evidence are beginning to grow a little bit. And it is going to become very important as to whether or not people are willing to hold accountable those who have the responsibility to enforce the law. All right, that's um, all the time we've got today. Tomorrow, If I'm here tomorrow, now again, um, don't be surprised if in the morning you tune in and I'm, I'm not doing the show live. There'll be a podcast tomorrow at some point. But um, it, it, it depends on how this thing goes in Columbia today. I'm committed to staying to the end. And uh, it could mean that it'd be difficult for me to get to have a show produced in the morning live. Uh, so if you look for me and don't find me, that's the reason. i got a brand new blog up at drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. Go read that. It's about the necessity of a biblical worldview when it comes to the effectiveness of the military. Um, I'm going to try to have another blog up before the end of the week. On some, I've got another couple of things that I want to write about. Um, I'm a regular columnist, by the way, for the Baptist Courier. Always have a column in there at the beginning of every month, and I would encourage you to read the Courier. Uh, it's an excellent magazine. It does deal with a lot of South Carolina Baptist information, but it talks about things on a national level as well. I think you would enjoy it. And don't forget to check out, by the way, North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. Uh, I hope you'll go to the website if you're looking for a four-year college. I promise you, North Greenville University really is where Christ makes the difference. It's a place where you can get an excellent world-class education by some of the best professors in the country, and you can also keep your faith. In fact, you'll have it strengthened in four years at North Greenville University. We're a Christian institution, and we're proud to say that, that we represent where Christ makes the difference. All right, that's, um, that's it. Y'all have a great day today. God bless you as you go about your business. Pray for our country. Pray for our state. Pray for our House of Representatives. And just remember to take an opportunity to encourage somebody today. Pass along some scripture. And remember, always, God is in control. <laughs>